You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. And now, here's this week's message on the Hollyview Podcast. We're only like two weeks away from finishing 1 Samuel. We've been in 1 Samuel for most of this year, and so if you're just joining us, you're jumping in at the last kind of uh, moments. But we we have a a good message this morning. If you have a pew Bibles, we'll be in 1 Samuel uh, 26. It's on page 233 in your P Bibles if you want to look there. 1 Samuel 26. I want to read uh, the end of chapter 26 and the beginning of chapter 27. Uh, and, and that's going to be kind of the focus of our sermon uh, this morning. As we'll see, uh, David's going to speak two things to his heart that are going to seem completely opposite. And then the impact that has on the rest of his, his life. Um, so 1 Samuel 26. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. This is uh, David speaking. He said, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hands today, talking about Saul, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. Now chapter 27 and just verse 1. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me no, any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. Let's pray one more time. Lord, as we come to your word, we need your spirit to enlighten, to open our eyes so that we can see what you'd have for us, open our ears, ears so we can hear, soften our hearts that we'd understand. And Lord, in the next few moments, uh, that you would give us um, wisdom for how to live life, that as we look at this Old Testament story that, that Paul says is able to make us wise for salvation, um, Lord, would we be drawn closer to you? Would we be drawn to look at you even more and love you today? And you stand, we pray. Amen. Well, what's going on here? The end of 26, the beginning of chapter 27, it feels a little bit like uh, uh, we're missing something. Like something in the story happens, uh, must have happened that we, that we don't get. Uh, David's all excited. He's done this amazing thing. And the next thing we see, it's like uh, his, he's led to this deep discouragement and almost like a depression, this hopelessness. Well, the pattern that David is feeling in this, in this story today, in this text, is the same pattern that's been on repeat since humanity has begun. Uh, it, we'll, we'll experience it this summer, many of us will, and, and I'm sure this story is bound to repeat uh, starting on July 23rd. So July 23rd is the beginning of the Olympics, as, as you know. 
Uh, and, and this story of, of uh, mountaintops to deep valleys, it's going to be repeated during the Olympics. Uh, most notably, uh, we've seen this repeat over and over, pictured in the life of a guy named Michael Phelps. Uh, you guys know who he is, right? We probably shouldn't have to uh, tell you who he is. A household name, one of the most decorated uh, summer Olympic athletes ever. Um, he's won 28 Olympic medals in five Olympic games. Uh, I, I watched him, was like four or five years ago when he was uh, in Rio, and he, he won five gold medals and a silver and, and that was impaled in comparison to the eight years before when he won eight gold medals. You remember watching him? I mean, he was like a dolphin in the water. I remember the scene of him swimming past everyone, getting to the wall and touching the wall before anyone, and then looking around and then looking up at the scoreboard and seeing, oh, he got first again, and slapping the water. You, you can, can you picture that, right? This, this momentous, uh, momentous occasion, he, he's then gets up and stands uh, and gets gold and the national anthem is played over and over again. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable. Only to, and you probably have followed the story, only to just a couple weeks later be crushed by the weight of the gold. He could do anything he wanted to. He was a household name. Uh, money, opportunities, everything. And every October or November, he would fall into this deep, dark depression. Uh, he'd begin by using drugs or alcohol, and he said, I would, I would begin to run from, quote, whatever it was I was running from. He, he would tell his heart, nobody cares about you anymore. Your, your life has no meaning now that the Olympics are over. No one cares, you're, you're all alone. The guy who was on the top would, would spiral into this dark discouragement and depression. He said in the 2012 Olympics, when he won the most gold medals, that was the year that he fell into the darkest depression. He said in October that, that he didn't want to swim anymore. He was just done with it. In fact, he didn't even want to live anymore. How, how do you go from achieving such a great victory to be on top of the world, feeling everything? That's, we all would love to be there to the next moment going, I don't care anymore uh, and I just want to end my life. From saying, I'm the best, to I'm the worst. And yet this pattern has been on repeat for humanity since the beginning. And it'll be on repeat again this summer for all of us. So this brings us back to our text today. Uh, I want us to look and see how David, he's going to go from this absolutely amazing victory, where even his enemy is like blessing him, to, to the very next uh, day he's like, woe is me. I'm discouraged and low. And, and hopefully, as we look at these two uh, stories, we'll begin to see how we can prepare better for a time when, when we're at the mountaintop and we go to the valleys. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to 1 Samuel 26. We'll start reading in verse 1. 1 Samuel 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill of Hakilah? which is on the east of Jeshimon. So Saul arose. So these guys are telling him, hey, we found David. Come and, and get him. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hakilah, which is beside the road of the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul 
came after him into the wilderness. David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Himelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went to, to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forget, forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is in the hand and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did they awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Let's stop right there. Uh, this wasn't just a, a normal sleep. This, this was a deep sleep from the Lord. And if you hear those words, deep sleep from the Lord, it should bring up a lot of Old Testament characters. Uh, Adam was put into a deep sleep when God took a, his side and created a woman to bring to him. Uh, Abraham was put into a deep sleep when God made his covenant with him. Jacob, when he puts his head on the rock, do you remember that? He fell into a deep sleep and had this vision of these staircases. This deep sleep is actually God's working, intentional working. It's God's direct action to protect David against 3,000 men, to have them fall asleep in the wilderness. And you wonder at what point was David sneaking through uh, the army, these 3,000 men, and, and wondering, is this the Lord doing it, or, or are they just sleeping? And, and, and what an adrenaline rush that would have been to actually be sneaking through and going closer and closer to the, the center of this thing. Imagine the rush of adrenaline that would have been to sneak through the enemy camp at night. Just you and, and one other guy. And then they get to King Saul. And there's Abner right next to him, his commander-in-chief. They're right in, in the center. Well, uh, where um, Saul and his men had, had camped was down. And, and when uh, David hears of it, he sends, this, he sends out the spy to go see where they're at. Uh, and, and then... David goes and looks out, and he can see them, this high, high up place, because he, he can see where, where Saul's sleeping. So uh, he gets on this mountain, and he's looking down, and he sees this really interesting formation that they point out a couple times in, in our text. Uh, they were circled and camped around. So they made circles, and then they would make a circle inside the circle, and then a circle inside the circle. They would keep getting smaller, and right in the middle of the circle uh, was King Saul. Uh, around him was... Uh, his commander, Abner. Now, if you were looking down on that structure, it would have been a very similar structure you would have seen if you were in the hills of Moab or somewhere looking down on the people of Israel as they went out from Egypt and into the Promised Land. Those 40 years, they were given instructions on how they were supposed to camp at night. 
uh, where the tribes were supposed to be in relation to everyone else. And they, were, uh, they would form a circle on the outside. And then on the middle side, there would be the Levite clan. And the Levites would form a circle around. And then right at the center of it all was the tabernacle. And then right at the center of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies, the place where, where King, the God as King, was reigning and, and ruling and leading. And see, God was at the center of the people. And, and now here we have Saul, who's replaced God at the center and made himself center. Uh, the king who was supposed to lead and protect his people is using his people to protect him himself. The tabernacle was not in the center. God was not in the center. Saul had placed himself in the center. As David looks on this, I'm sure some of those images or thoughts must have come to mind. Saul's right in the middle. It's like he's the holy of holies of the, of the people. He's replaced God. So he says, I'm going to go down there. And I wonder what everyone around him, his, men, his 600 men that were there were like, you're going to, what? That's 3,000 guys. He's like, who's with me? Ahimelech, Abishai, who wants to go? And Abishai's like, I'll go. So two guys are like, sweet, we're going to sneak into uh, the enemy camp. So, so here's David and Abishai sneaking at night into the, uh, in the enemy camp, going through the circles, closer and closer to the middle. And then they get right in the center where Saul's laying down. And they see the spear stuck right against his head. I mean, there's a weapon right there. So Abishai turns and he says, David, let me do it. Uh, and you almost wonder, like, this is a really self-sacrificing guy. If they kill him, if noise is made, if, if anyone wakes up, they've got 3,000 men surrounding them. This is a, this is a death mission. Uh, so maybe even Abishai is like, hey, look. I'll kill him. He won't make a noise. You get out of here. Uh, I'm going to die. This is gonna, that's gonna, how it's going to be because there's 3,000 guys, and any noise is going to wake them up, I mean, supposedly. Uh, but David goes, nope, don't touch him. Don't, don't reach out your hand against the Lord's anointed. And I wonder if that moment, what Abishai was thinking then why did we come down here? <laughs> why did we just sneak through the whole enemy camp? What are we? It's right here. God has set up the circumstances. Just take it. But he doesn't. And there's a, there's a verse that I, I think really reflects on. David's actually learned a little bit from uh, the last chapter when he was, with, again, he was on his way up to kill Nabal. Remember Abigail's husband? He says, strap your swords, we're going to kill him. And Abigail comes out and uh, protects him, basically changes his mind to kill him. And then 10 days later, Nabal dies by the hand of the Lord. And David's like, whoa, I've been, I've been saved, this guilt that I would have had. Look in verse 10 again, 26.10. This is what David says to Abishai. As they're standing uh, over uh, King Saul, they could have killed him right there. He says, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him. Or his day will come to die. Maybe in 10 days he'll die. Or he'll go down into battle and he'll perish. Perish. That's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means to be swept away, to be taken, destroyed. It says, don't worry, Abishai. God's got this in his hands. So, so take the spear and take the water, but don't touch God's anointed. 
the Lord at his right time will sweep him away. He'll be destroyed. So they, they leave the camp. They sneak out again. Must have been like two giddy kids. Uh, they get to the top of that mountain again, and then David calls out with the spear and this water in his hand. But the, he first calls out to Abner, to his commander, and says, hey, basically, good job protecting your king. We got these. You're not doing the right thing. And then he calls out to Saul. He says, look, I didn't kill you again. I could have, but I, I didn't. And so from a long way off, Saul once more uh, will, will respond back to David. Verse 25 at the end of the chapter there. Verse 25 says, Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way and Saul returned to his place. So David has just won like the Olympic gold and spy games. I mean, he's just snuck through the entire camp, gotten the most precious things from uh, Saul, the very spear that he was trying to kill David with. He's got it. David must have been like on cloud nine. He must have been so confident because he, he did all that and then he gets blessed by his enemy. The guy that he could have killed that's trying to kill him, he's like, man, you're going to do lots of things and you're going to be really successful. David must be brimming with confidence. He must be like, yes, the future is bright now, right? That's what you would be thinking. He's just done this amazing adrenaline rush of things. But then we're going to see in the very next moment, when he's on the mountaintop, we're going to see this vulnerable moment and then just weakness. And here's one of the points I want to make. I think it's in those mountaintops moments, mountaintop moments when we are often most vulnerable. Uh, we, we set goals, and we're pretty good at that. We want to climb that mountain. We want to do that. We want to succeed in that thing. And we give very little thought to, then what? What happens the day after? I don't think David was really thinking about that either. 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. It says, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish. I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better, nothing better for me than that I should escape, to run away, get, get out of here, to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. Now, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, but if you just read those verses, you're thinking, wow, that's some serious mood swings, right? Uh, I've, I'm the... I, I have all this success, everything's going great, to the next thing you know, it's like, I, I'm just, I just might as well die. I just want to run away. I don't want to do this anymore. It sounds like uh, from that mountaintop, David is really struggling with discouragement, uh, depression. And, and there's really three, three signs of that I, I want to point out to you uh, really quickly. The first one is that he has a pessimistic outlook, a pessimistic outlook. He, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perish. I'm going to die by the hand of Saul. But there's nothing, there's nothing positive in that. There, when I look ahead, all I see is I'm going to die. This is going to end up bad. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. Even though God had protected him time and time again. I mean, just through that one event, through the whole army, God has protected him. He's put his hand upon him. But he goes like, you know what? I'm going to die. The whole, the whole thing's bad. I'm just looking at the future, and it's just negative. Well, he's tired. He's vulnerable. He's just had this mountaintop experience and his perspective and how he sees the future is really warped. 
He's got a pessimistic outlook. The next thing is he has this hopeless feeling. He says there's nothing better, nothing. There's absolutely no hope out there. There's not one thing that could make this any better. It's all downhill from here. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. You know, we, we strive, like I said, to discipline ourselves, to, uh, to beat our bodies, um, to, to make the right decisions and the hard decisions to reach some pinnacle or some plateau, what we have our sights on. And once you get there, you, you look and you go, well, that's it. There's nothing better. I've, I've reached it. That's what Phelps felt. There's nothing better that I should just give up swimming and lose my life. There's nothing better. There's no salvation. There's no rescue. There's nothing to put my sights on. And then the last thing, he was feeling helpless. He said, I, I should just escape. He said, there's nothing I can do. I, I can't do anything anymore than just run away, just get out of here. He, he just wanted to end it all, just get away from it all. I, I can't do anything. If I can't control it, I just want to be done with it. If I can't free myself from the situation, I just want to escape. I just want to get away. So, so David, he went from this mountaintop experience, walking through this army, to the state of really discouragement in just a blink of an eye. Do you see that? Just a blink of an eye. And there's a short line at the very beginning of chapter 27 that I think explains uh, that vulnerable moment and what we, what we should be uh, paying attention to. Look at the chapter 27, the very beginning. It says, then David said in his heart. David said in his heart. Uh, it actually could be better translated, David said to his heart. Uh, the little Hebrew word is the L, it's the directional. He says to his heart. It's, it's in his heart, to his heart. He's speaking something uh, all by himself that he's meditating on in his heart over and over and over again. It's in that mountaintop experience when he's put his defenses down that he starts uh, repeating and speaking to himself. Because you see, David doesn't tell anybody. He just keeps it really private, says it in his heart. And here are the things I, I think that David was feeding his heart, uh, feeding his heart by little drips at a time. Uh, the things that he would then be wanting to respond to and be motivated. He, he would say, you know there's no escape, right? And we've escaped a couple times, but God's not going to continue doing this. It's not going to get any better. I'm just going to be on run all my life till he finally kills me. He, he, he's saying, there's nothing I can do anyway. Just me. It's just me and one other guy against an army of 3,000. What can I do? I can't do anything. I'm kind of a mess anyway. I'm broken I kind of already screwed up with, with Nabal and Abigail, and I mean, I shouldn't have done that. I'm just a mess. You know, Saul's going to kill you, don't you? He, he's stronger than you. He's better than you. You, you, don't, you don't have enough. You don't, you don't have what it takes. And you know what? You're all alone. No one cares. No one's going to help you. And like poison drips to the heart. David speaks these lies to himself over and over you see, in that moment of victory, we're all susceptible, we're all vulnerable to it. We put our defenses down, oh, I'm great. And, and it's at that moment that the enemy comes in and whispers these twisted lies in our ears, trying to bring us down and defeat us. David has this adrenaline, epic moment walking through the camp with the spear and the water and coming back and getting blessed by his enemy. And now 
He's in this vulnerable moment where he needs a different perspective. He actually needs someone who is outside of his situation that can speak clearly. He needed someone to speak the truth of God over him and over his heart. He, he didn't need self-talk at that moment. He didn't need to speak to uh, just in his heart at that moment, whatever he was thinking and coming along. He needed someone to bring God's word to speak. Into, he, words that would have said something like this. God is protecting you. He has saved you from the hand of Saul, and he will continue to do it. You're in the right place. Don't go anywhere. I know it's hard, but God is with you. You're not alone. And in fact, he's brought these 600 men and their families with you. You're leading them. He's surrounded you with people. God is guiding and directing your path. Yeah, it's not always easy, but he's there for you. It's not aimless. It's not hopeless. You're not forgotten. God has not given up on you. And if you would have had somebody drip those things in his heart, I think it would have been a different experience. So when we get to mountaintops, when we get to places where we're like, boy, I'm feeling really good, uh, we need to be, be careful. I wonder if Jonathan would have been there in that moment and spoken to him, if it would have changed David's perspective and his feeling. I wonder if Jonathan would be like, no, God is with you. You got this. You know, there's a, it's like a month ago. Do you guys remember the baptism that we had here that week? If you weren't here, it was, it was one of the highlights for me over the last couple of years. Uh, six people were baptized. The service was full. Lots of singing. It was cool that day. Do you remember that? Uh, I, I had multiple people saying, I just felt like the Lord was in that place that day. It was, it was awesome. If you were there, do you remember? It was just a great day. And I know that principle, like, hey, be careful afterwards because uh, it, you're going to, you know, feel a little bit of this, this down or off this high. I was aware of it, but it was like slowly this dark cloud kind of settled over my heart. And I felt like discouraged and alone. And I was like irritated with Amy. And my wife, who's being a good wife, says, you know, you really need to talk to somebody. And so I called up a friend. He's another pastor in the area. And I said, okay, I need, I need counseling. Here, here's all the blah I have. And, and, and you know what he said? That's not right. You're not thinking about that right at all. Like, you're just not. Because really, and he went through the whole thing. And when I got done with the lunch, it was an hour and a half lunch, cost me 10 bucks. Uh, they got done with that lunch, and I'm like, oh. The Lord is moving and working, and what a cool place to be. That's how I felt. But that took me until uh, Wednesday or Thursday to get there. Um, you know, research has shown that many pastors uh, dip into that slight discouragement on Sunday night or Monday morning. It's really not a, not a surprise. You, you go from this mountaintop of preaching God's word to people to, the, to Sunday night going, did I ever make any difference? Did the words I say, were they even right? Am I, make, you know, am I all alone in this? Uh, that's normal. They say 30% of pastors at any time right now in the States want to quit. Uh, so, so that's that. So, so let me ask you, if you were to sit down with me for lunch, what would you tell me? And I'm guessing all of you would have great advice for me. Come on, Joel, you got this. God's working. He, he's right there. But let me tell you, it's not just pastors, is it? it? It's every one of you. 
Uh, as you go on this epic vacation that you've been planning for a year and a half now because it's been canceled, you go on this epic vacation and you get home and you feel like, is this it? Like we plan and prepare for those moments, but we don't plan or prepare or even think about the moment after the moments. Well, what are we going to do when we're on the mountaintop? How, how are we going to uh, continue to walk with the Lord when he brings us back down again? Your defenses are down and the enemy wants to whisper all kinds of lies in your ears. So, so, so what are you whispering? Maybe even today, what are you whispering to your heart? You, know, you spend a, a nice day, a, a date day with your spouse or, or your kids, and it's just awesome. And then the next day, you ever notice, it's like you're fighting all the time and, and you're, you're irritable. What's all that about? It's in those vulnerable moments that, that the, the whispers and the lies begin. You, know, you get to go to the movies with your friends or you go to a camp for a whole week all by yourself. It's, it's just awesome. And then you get back home to your room and the same old stuff. And, and maybe you even feel your heart like turning a little bitter and a little critical. And, and it's in those moments that you need to uh, to speak, get community around you. What, what's God saying in this? Not, not what is my twisted heart saying in this? And then ask somebody, are my parents really the worst? <laughs> and then they'll say, no, your parents are great. <laughs> well, you know this pattern, it, just, it continues to repeat uh, through all of us. And then we often get blindsided when it happens because we're not prepared. Uh, so I think the emphasis of this whole message then is how do you prepare for the moment after the moments on the, on the high? B because we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared with the truth of God's word to wash over and drip into our hearts. To speak to our hearts those words of, of truth. So that we won't get led astray and we won't, we won't be uh, discouraged and down and then make bad decisions. 1 Samuel 1.19-11 is this. You, you probably all know it. I have, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's David saying that. I have, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm, I'm speaking these words of, of your truth to my heart so that I won't be led astray. I won't be discouraged and depressed and, and, and make really bad decisions. Because if you read the rest of chapter 20, you see David making one bad decision after the next. All because he spoke to his heart. There's nothing better. Just perish. Just get out of here and escape. And so David does. He takes uh, his family, his two wives at the time, 600 men with their family, and they escape to the Philistines. They actually go to the very city where Goliath's from, Gath. And there they set up, and David's like, hey, can I, uh, can I get some land? We don't want to take from you. So he gives them some land. And then he goes out and raids with the men. So it's like 600 men going out on these wilderness raids, uh, destroying everybody, kids, families, everyone, to get like things back. Now, these, these were enemies of Israel that he was raiding, which was good. But when he got back to the Philistines, he would tell the king, oh, no, uh, these are the enemies of Israel that I'm destroying. And he would destroy everyone in the time. And you think, okay, he's left his wife in enemy territory in the Philistines. They've gone off on these raids. If, if word of that got out to anyone, the families would be destroyed. And we're actually going to see this. It's going to happen. Uh, as David, because of his uh, lying and, and his speaking to his, his heart in wrong ways, he ends up putting all of the people that he loves and he cares for that are most loyal to him at risk. 
Well, it's that mountaintop experience that he was uh, ready for, but the moment after that, he wasn't. He was not ready. He didn't have a friend. He, didn't have, he wasn't speaking to his heart the words of life from God. So when you're tempted, maybe this even this next week, uh, to speak to your heart something that's not true, it's, gonna, it's not going to feel like direct. It's going to feel like this overshadow of just discouragement and down. You're going to see these phrases keep pumping up. You're alone. No one cares. You can't do anything right anyway. No one really likes you. It's all these things that are pumping. In those times, in those times of discouragement and struggle, we need, we need to be speaking the words of God to our heart. And so here, here's what I'm going to want to end with this. So I want to give you two verses that I either like memorize or, or write out, place somewhere, because these are going to be a mirror for, for what you should be speaking to your, your heart. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. As his word pours over and tells you exactly what he wants to tell you from his word. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding and think, ah, oh, this and this. Don't lean on that. In all your ways, acknowledge him. So when you're feeling that, first turn to the Lord or turn to someone else that can say, no, the Lord's not over there. <laughs> you're going the wrong way. You need to turn over there. There's the Lord. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He'll, he'll direct your steps and where you should go. Not that our heart leads us down the wrong way, but our, but our heart after God would lead us down the right way. Well, um... I would like to, to read as kind of an ending Psalm 11. Uh, and this will kind of be uh, our prayer at the end. Um, this, is, um, this is a prayer of David. Psalm 11. And let this be our, our prayer today as well. To the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, to my, my heart, my inward being, flee like a bird to the mountain, just escape? For behold, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorched wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Let's pray.
Lord, as we go out from here, um, I know there's vacations coming up and uh, school's going to be back in uh, full school, and I know kids are excited about that, and there's so many things we look forward to. And, and to be honest, I was looking forward to this week until everything changed, and then it was just discouraging. And Lord, I need your word. I need your direction. I need your encouragement and comfort um, as I walk through this life. And I know we all need that as well. Lord, would you prepare us, prepare our hearts to hear the words of truth from you and not the lies that the enemy would try and uh, whisper, that we would be people uh, steadfast and faithful to you no matter what the circumstances are, that in the, the high moments when we're at the top of the world, uh, would you prepare us in those moments to speak to our heart your words, that we would trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, acknowledge him and that you will make our paths straight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.